outline. Let me give the outline here of this book. There are four different dated messages that are given here. Let me give those to you one at a time. First of all, a call to continue building. Notice here in verse number one, in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month in the first day of the month. Pretty specific, isn't it? Forgiven very clearly. And through Uh, the historical data, we know what the second year of Darius was. So that's why I can safely say 520 B.C. Now notice here in chapter 2, verse number 1, there is a call to consider God's future promises. Notice in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month. Again, very specific. Look at chapter 2, verse number 10. This is a call to clean living in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius. And then jump all the way down to verse number 20, a call to confidence concerning God's future kingdom. Look at here, in the 4 and 20th day of the month. That is, this is the same month that is referred to as in verse number 10. Now here's what's interesting about these four messages. Let's go back to chapter 1, and all of chapter 1 is this first message. It's dated in verse number 1, but here's the thrust is in verse number 8. We read this as our text. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and what does God say? I'll take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. You know what the call is? This first message is Haggai gets to the people, and he says, it's time to build. It's time to build. So now we come to the second message here, which is given, and that's in chapter 2. Again, we looked at the date in verse number 1. But the thrust of the message here is in verse 4 and in verse 9. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord's Lord of hosts. Look at verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, said the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace. God is telling these people now to consider the future promises. Again, I mentioned a little bit earlier about Haggai being an older man because he appeals to the people, the older men. In fact, you read about this in the book of Ezra. Here's what's interesting. In Ezra, when they saw that temple as it was being built and as it got completed, the Bible says that the young man rejoiced that the work was done. But what did the old men do? They cried. Why did they weep? Why did they cry? Because they had known what the former glory was. They had seen with their own eyes Solomon's temple and how grand and how beautiful that place was. And then they look at this thing that they had constructed together for God. But I want to tell you something. Haggai is telling these people that there is coming a temple that will be built in the latter days that will be greater than any temple before it. And so you ought to consider something, he says, God's future promises. Look at verses 10 through 19. Here's the call to clean living. Again, it's dated in verse number 10, but let's notice the thrust of this message. If you read through these several verses here, the people had a very interesting notion. 
they felt that since they were working for God, that God would bless them. In other words, he would accept their obedience and would bless them. But I want to tell you something. It, there, a lot of people have this mentality. Well, God, I'm, I, I'm here and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing parking lot duty or I'm greeting out there or I'm going ahead and, and uh, helping some people get seated. And I'm, I'm doing these things. Can I tell you, just simply working for God doesn't mean that God's blessing is going to be on your life. What Haggai is telling these people is there has to be a heart for God. There has to be an obedience to God. There has to be something of holy living. And just because your hands are touching the temple and you're laying those stones and building that, you say to yourself, oh, I'm a holy person and God's going to bless me. My friend, I want to tell you something. You've got to be right from the inside out. You see, in far too many Christian circles, we've got it wrong. We tell people, well, go ahead and clean up the outside. You, you do this and you perform that way and you kind of take care of these things. And we make ourselves look like good Christians. But my friend, I want to tell you, God doesn't work that way. God is concerned about the outside, but where does God start? Starts on the inside. Starts on the heart. And when God begins to work on the heart, guess what begins to come out? Is the outflow of God's working. What a beautiful thing to see how Haggai addresses this. And then the last four verses, there's a call to confidence concerning God's future kingdom. Look at verse number 23. I love these three words here in the beginning of that verse, in that day. Now, I, I made mention this morning in the book of Revelation study, the millennium, how intriguing it is of how all of these prophetical statements that are made in the Old Testament will be fulfilled in the book of Revelation. They'll be fulfilled. And here it is, Haggai is telling these people, in that day. Oh, how powerful. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, this book, the more I study it and the more I read it, the more it becomes real and evident that God is at work in everything that's going on. I'm telling you, it's powerful. Well, let's analyze the book of Haggai, the analysis of the book. The first thing I want you to notice is there are some key phrases that are used here. Key phrases. The first phrase is the phrase, I am with you. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. The Lord answered... Nope, I wrote the wrong verse down. What's that? I was looking at Zechariah. How'd you like that? Boy, thank you for helping me. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. I, maybe I ought to go stop at the hospital, get checked out afterwards. All right, look at verse 13. There it is. I like that. I'm glad I can see something now. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, would you read them with me so I know that we're on the same page? I am with you, saith the Lord. Good. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being on the right page, all right? I am with you. Look here. Let's make sure I got the right verse. Chapter 2, verse number 4. Look at the latter part. For I am with you. Now, though these people had been disobedient to God, Haggai reminds them that God was with them. 
Now, the devil likes to come around. Remember that devil we talked about this morning? Praise God, in the millennium period, he's going to be, he's going to be cast out into that bottomless pit. But the devil likes to make us think that God has left us and forsaken us. But you know, as believers, you and I have the very Spirit of God. But the question really remains is, how much of us does the Spirit have? You see, you may be saved tonight and you may have the Spirit of God, but that's not the greater question. The greater question is this, how much of the Spirit does the Spirit have of you? That is, how much control does He have in your life? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, and be filled with the Spirit of God. And can I tell you tonight that when you and I truly understand that God is with us, all doubts and fears will subside. Do you realize there are far too many Christians that live in fear, that constantly are doubting about things. Well, I don't know if that can happen. I don't know if God can do that. Or they live in fear of what's happening around them politically and what's happening economically. And they're, they're in fear about all these type of things. But my friend, if you recognize that God is with you, all of that will subside. Listen to this in Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us... Who can be against us? 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Oh, some of you need to start getting, getting come, you need to come down to this altar at the end of this message and say, God, I recognize you're with me. I know that as a believer, you're here with me and that you will strengthen me and you will guide me through every phase of life. And when you tonight realize that God is with you, could I say you will prosper in all you do? I really believe that a lot of Christians are lethargic and don't accomplish a whole lot for God because they don't recognize the power they have available. Would you do me a favor? Hold your place here. Let's hope I'll get to the right passage. But go to Ezra chapter 6, if you would, please. Back to the book of Ezra. Look, if you will, Ezra, right after Chronicles, Ezra chapter 6, and look at verse number 14. Giving the sense of the background of what's going on here, the Bible says, and the elders of the Jews builded. So that means, if I could just fast forward everything that went on in these chapters, Haggai comes, tells them to build, and what does the Bible say? They did. They builded, and look at this. And they, could you give me the next word? Prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. That word prosper is a very interesting word. It literally means to complete successfully, to accomplish a goal. Now, why is it that a lot of, a lot of Christians fail in doing God's work? Why is it that a lot of Christians don't accomplish that which God has asked them to do? Is because they live in fear. They have all sorts of doubts that they, they can't do it. And I'm here to remind you of something. God is with you. 
God will enable you to teach that class. God will enable you to do that ministry. God will enable you to tell that neighbor across the street of Jesus Christ. God will help you to leave those gospel tracts around. God will give you the boldness to live for him. My friend, God is with you as a believer. Let me give you another key phrase is consider your ways. Look, if you will, chapter 1, verse number 5. Here he says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at verse number 7 once again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Chapter 2, verse 15. He says, And now you consider from this day and upward. Verse 18, Consider now from this day and upward. Now the word consider means to discern and understand. And really when Haggai was coming to them, he's telling them, uh, look, 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 look. I want you to stop for just a minute what you're doing or what you're not doing. And I want you to take a moment to ponder. Think about this. Let me share with you what God has asked of you to do. Let me remind you of what you're not doing. And let me have you take a step back and consider your ways. You realize every Sunday you do that with your life or should be doing that? As a man of God, whoever it may be, stands behind this pulpit and gives the word of God, you know what you're doing? Considering your ways. You're considering what it is that God is giving through the man of God to the people of God, and you're stopping to say to yourself, all right, I got to consider, am I living the way that God's asked me to live? Am I fulfilling the things that God asked me to fulfill? Am I living in some sin and I need to stop living in that sin? Well, my friend, you got to do what the people of Haggai, he encouraged them to do, and that is to consider their ways. Oh, powerful when you look at these messages and how they're given here. Um, Notice the next key phrase is shake the heavens and the earth. Chapters 2, verse number 6 and verse 21. Now, it's interesting here when you look at chapter 2, verse 6. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, this is the only verse of Haggai that is quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it's verse number 26. But it's interesting when it talks about this shaking, because ultimately what God is doing here is He's telling the people that there will be a time... And he tells us this in Hebrews, that he will shake the heavens and the earth. But you know, if you go all the way back, in fact, Hebrews chapter 12 references this earlier on in the chapter, that in the book of Exodus chapter 19, that before Moses went up to the mountain, and as he gave instruction to the people before he was ready to receive the law, that God was giving instruction about how the people weren't to touch the mountain, they were to stay clear of some things, and that as God was giving that to Moses, that there was a shaking, or the word quake is used, of the mountain. So literally, we could say that in the book of Exodus, there was a shaking of the earth. In Haggai and reference in Hebrews and referencing here the end times as you and I who have been through this study of Revelation know that there will not only be a shaking of the earth but of the heavens. And what is God doing that shaking for? 
is because if we can partner this together with this idea of consider your ways, it is important for you and I to realize that God desires to get our attention. When he's shaking the heaven and the earth, he's trying to get the people's attention that there is a God who loves them, wants them to be saved. And back in the Old Testament, he's shaking the earth to let people know there is a God who is to be feared and reverenced as he gives his holy law. Powerful statements that are given here. Let me give another analysis of the book of Haggai, and that is of obedience. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, look at these next words, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament and the history of the Israelites while they're in the land prior to going into exile. Do you read a lot about their obedience? Not really. You read about how many times they disobeyed. You read about how many times they walked away from God. You you read about how many times they served all these different idols. It seems that page after page after page is disobedience upon disobedience. So to me, As I read this book of Haggai, it's almost like this struck out like a neon sign. Haggai comes and he gives the message and what do the people do? They obey God. Now, do you realize that's the way Christian life ought to be? Could I summarize the Christian life for you? Sometimes we make it so confusing. But here's the Christian life. When God speaks to you about something, do it. When God tells you to do something, obey him. When God challenges you about something in your life, don't kind of put it aside and say, well, I'll think about that later. No, obey God. Follow his will. Boy, it's powerful, powerful for us to follow God's will. Another phrase that is used is the Lord of hosts. If you read through this book, the phrase is used 14 times in the book. Do you realize that that's a little over one for every three verses in the book of Haggai? You read through most of the Bible, that phrase is used well over 200 times. What does it mean? It means the Lord of armies. Used a lot of times by the prophets, but I think when Haggai and all these other prophets are using it, it's really coming to this aspect of God is the God who is all-powerful and has all these armies and resources at hand, and he can help you, and therefore you ought to trust him and you ought to obey him. That's the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is speaking to you tonight and encouraging you to obey him. Let me give the announcement of Christ in Haggai. Two things I'll just throw by you. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. The last verse, it mentions here Zerubbabel. Now, again, who was Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was the governor of the land. When the people were brought back, 50,000 people, guess who came with them? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel became the governor of that area. But Zerubbabel is a very important person because he is the, the grandson of a man by the name of Jehoiachin. Does that name ring a bell? Now, earlier on, 
Jehoiachin was a man who did not follow God. In fact, disobeyed God to the point that God said, I'm writing a curse upon Jehoiachin. And there's nothing that is going to prosper of his seed. Pretty amazing. But notice here in verse 23, what God says here through Haggai about Zerubbabel. He says, and will make thee, that's Zerubbabel, as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now the signet was a ring that a king would have that would be used to mark something of a seal. It would be like a seal of authority. And it's very interesting about Jehoiachin, Zerubbabel's grandfather, that God basically said, I'm ripping away. You're not to be to me a signet, but now he tells Zerubbabel, the grandson, to me you will be a signet. And I am signifying something that I'm going to do something special for you. What a powerful relationship this is here. Zerubbabel, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice in same chapter, verse number 7, it talks about him, the desire of all nations. Look at this. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Can you think of a Christmas song that has this phrase in it? Yeah, there's a Christmas song that we sing. Now, this morning we talked about joy to the, joy to the world. But I want you to notice here, hark the herald angels sing. One line of that song states, Come, desire of nations, come. The desire of nations that Charles Wesley spoke about in this hymn, I believe, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the desire of all nations. You know why? Because through him comes the su supply for everything that is needed in people. Those who need justification, those who need to be saved, those who need healing, those who need justice, where do they find it? They find it in Jesus. He's the desire of all nations. And I love what it says in Isaiah 45, 22, look to me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Wow. Well, let's apply this and we'll be done. Two things I want to give to you. First of all, God must have first place in your life. Look at the beginning of Haggai and notice what happens here when Haggai comes. Verse number two, thus speak of the Lord of hosts saying, this people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus said the Lord, consider your ways. Then jump down to our text, verse 7. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, build a house. I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You know what happened? These people had basically left off building the house of God. Now, they were discouraged, no doubt. But they allowed all that opposition on the outside to discourage them to the point to where they basically said, we're, we're, we're just, we're going we're to do our own thing. You know, there's a lot of people within Christianity that are that way. 
There's a lot of people who have somehow gotten sidetracked in their life, and they're more concerned with what they're doing for themselves. They're building their little kingdom. They're taking care of their stuff. They're, they're concerned about just their needs and nobody else's. And my friend, I want to remind you of something, that God encourages every one of us to put him first. You see, you can go ahead and take care of yourself, but as he says in Haggai, you know what? You're, you're taking care of yourself, and you think that you made so much money, but it really only comes down to this. And you got some bags with holes in it, and some of your treasure's leaking out. I want to tell you something. You put God first, and God will take care of you. Isn't that what Matthew said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When you put God first... God will see to it that all your needs are met. Can I encourage you tonight? I don't talk a whole lot about money, but you put God first in your giving and God will see to it your needs are met. He will. That's why they call it the tithe. That's why it's that first 10% that I say, all right, God, this is yours. And when I give it to you, oh, I look at the piece of paper in my budget. I don't think I can really give. I can't afford to do it. How about if I just give 3%? How about if I give 5%? I, I, maybe a later time when I make a little bit more money, I can do it. No, no. You give to God. You put it at the first of your budget. You send it over to him and God will take care of you how powerful that is. So what has first place in your life? I hope it's God. Number two, I want you to notice this, and that is every work of God needs an encourager. Now, I love this little book because really just a quick summary God sends Haggai. Haggai comes to preach, tells them to build, tells them, look, God's going to do some great things. Be encouraged. And what do they do? They obey God and they build the temple. And wow, there's rejoicing that comes back through the people. You know what God does in a group of people? God brings different people by to encourage you. God uses preachers to encourage you. Now, I share often I may step on toes and I may talk about some things that may be of discomfort for you. And you might say, preacher, don't, don't talk about that. That's, that's a little personal for me. But I trust that at the end of the message, you walk away encouraged in this aspect, that my toes may have gotten stepped on, but I'm encouraged because God can give me the strength to do what I need to do. I may not have as a spiritual gift encouragement per se, but I desire to encourage you in the things of God. I want to see people rise up and, and God use you for His glory and His honor. What a beautiful thing. It's a joy for me. Why did I have Natalie and uh, Judy Ann stand up tonight? Because for me, it is one of the greatest joys to see a member of Calvary Baptist go out and share with their neighbor about Jesus and invite them to church, and that neighbor comes to know Christ. You know what? I, in fact, this week, the reason I asked you to stand tonight is because this week, as I was alone, I'm rejoicing about different things that God is doing through some of our people here. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. And I rejoice in all of that, and it encourages my soul. But you know, God may use some of you to be an encouragement to others. There may be some in this room tonight that are a little weak in the knees, 
a little discouraged by the opposition that has come your way. And God may just use someone in this building to be an encouragement to that person who is discouraged. Why do I encourage people to come and to be faithful to God's house? Because do you realize your presence tonight is an encouragement to other people? You say, oh, pastor, people aren't going to miss me. Yeah, they will. Sure they will. I want to encourage you to be faithful to God's house. Because number one is you're faithful to the services. You're faithful on Sunday morning. You're faithful on Sunday night. You're faithful on Wednesday night. You're encouraging me as a pastor, but you're encouraging all the rest of the people. But your words can be of great encouragement. How many times has I've gone through and I've, I've just kind of heard in somebody's voice? Or I can see their shoulders are dropped a little bit. And I'll just ask, is everything okay? Oh, pastor, you just, you just, and they begin just to share what's going on in their life. And I'll pray with them. This morning, I prayed with somebody right in the lobby. I'll often do that. As somebody goes through, they'll, they'll share something and, I, and I'll stop and I'll pray with them right there. You know why? I want to encourage them. And you can be an encouragement to other people. Don't just come in, sit in your pew, just kind of twiddle your thumbs till the service starts. Go around and talk to people. Encourage people. Help one another. Love on people. And as God used Haggai to help these people do what God wanted them to do, God may use you, young or old, to encourage somebody to keep plugging away at the work of God.